you seekers, explorers and renegades out there, welcome to another episode of the Alchemy Experience podcast. I'm your host, Christopher Lemke. I think most of us will agree that by and large, as uh, modern humans, we are not very good at uh, dealing with conflict. Either we dive headfirst in, trying to control everything and everybody in the conflict, or we shy away from it and just retreat and suppress any uh, expression that we wanted to have in the uh, conflict. Now, I don't think that you necessarily need to have two people that are fully uh, trained in conflict resolution to actually have a conflict that is not uh, toxic, as it were. Uh, It only takes that one person shows up and takes responsibility for whatever they say, think or do and uh, that could then deflate and uh, de-escalate the situation. Dealing with conflict and being proficient at conflict resolution really is about personal responsibility and how you you show up in relationship with the other people and how you show up and deal with conflict or deal with uh, uh, disagreements. So being personally responsible and knowing yourself and knowing how you typically react to certain situations so that you can observe yourself from a perspective of your awareness as opposed to acting out from the emotions that crop up and when you are triggered. So there's a, there's a whole uh, science around this and uh, we'll be addressing some of these uh, topics and angles uh, in this discussion today. So I hope you will uh, garner some uh, wisdom nuggets as always from these discussions and uh, let's get on with it enjoy okay welcome today we are talking about conflict so alaric hutchinson said bravery is a choice to show up and listen to another person be it a loved one or a perceived foe even when it's uncomfortable, painful, or even the last thing you want to do. So in conflict, we show up and we, you know, traditionally, at least for my part, you know, I show up and I get triggered. I expose my fears and go into defensive mode. Um, And oftentimes, I think we subconsciously, we, we recognize other people's energies and we can understand what their triggers are we, we become very good at poking some other other person's uh, uh, sore points right um, especially when, when we know each other or know each other well then we know what they are but I think even when when uh, we don't know each other or we just you know if it's in a work situation um, I think energetically we can recognize that so these all become the the foundation for how we treat, how we deal with conflict in uh, everyday life. When we're not aware of how, or rather when we're acting from our, our emotions, then we end up, you know, getting triggered. And those triggers are usually founded in fear. So if it's fear of uh, losing one's position or, uh, you know, being losing one's job or being made look a fool, uh, whatever it may be. So it's we we end up in this defensive mode where we only focus on defending ourselves, 
So we are thusly kind of dividing ourselves from uh, everybody else that we are having a conflict with. Um, and that, as many of you probably know, tends to escalate to the point where it erupts and uh, uh, people go their separate ways. Um, that's not very constructive, I feel, uh, and I don't think anybody feels that way either. But a lot of times when we sleepwalk through life, we feel powerless to make changes because we are, we are not resourcing ourselves in a way that we can deal with those situations. And so uh, we, had a, um, we had a training session with Reika and Brenda uh, a little while ago where we looked at different personality or different types of uh, pers persons in conflict. So uh, if you look at a graph where you have assertiveness on one end and kind of uh, going along with <laughs> on one end, um, you had the shark very high up on the assertiveness and not very um, cooperative. Um, and then you have what they describe as the uh, crab on the very low left corner where not assertive at all and not willing to compromise or work with anybody. In the very middle, you have the compromiser. At the uh, very low right end, I not very assertive, but uh, uh, able to uh, go along with what everybody else says is the octopus, which is the people pleaser, does whatever they need to to make sure everybody's uh, satisfied, which typically is challenging when everybody has different ideas of what being satisfied is. Uh, and then at the top uh, right-hand corner, you have the collaborator. And I don't know about you guys, but collaborator, that's the position I want to be in. Um, how do we get there when everybody has different opinions? So, so yes, I, I really think that you said is absolutely correct in the sense of where it goes from a zero to spectrum. So I think that a lot of things are in a spectrum and people lately kind of have been talking about microaggressions and things like that, where they're minuscule and then they go to maximum of where aggressions would be something that would be, you know, like full scale, full blown out violence. But I think that one of the best things that you can do in regards to conflict resolution I know that I, I got trained in restorative justice. So that's a process that is something that went around the United States and something where we do in a circle, kind of more of on a tribal basis too. And focuses on by speaking what is going on at the moment, you're able to handle the things that are maybe on a scale of zero to 10. You can handle the things that are a one to two and you handle those in the moment. And then they don't get to a point of where they're a six or a seven or a nine or a 10 to the point where people blow up. And so I think there's kind of that cliche or there used to be in the past about people who got divorced about, you know, God damn it. Why don't you put the toothpaste on the lid on properly? I like it squeezed from the middle. And you're like, yeah, but I like it rolled up from the back. And it's like, you're arguing over the stupid shit because ultimately you didn't handle the things that were number one and number two that were teeny tiny. You got to a point of where the toothpaste became a nine and then you're like, I'm leaving you and it's over. So that's the part about where if people kind of like in the moment say, hey, you know, I really didn't like it if you said that to me or, hey, 
you know, maybe that was a little insensitive or whatever. It's like, it doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't necessarily, I'm using that as a personal example in a personal relationship, but it's still being able to speak to the point that those little things that happen, you deal with them in the moment. And then you cause the goodwill of the, having that person that's in that business or personal relationship to know that you'll continue to focus on those things and that you'll take attention to take the weeds out of your garden in regards to communication, as opposed to getting to a point of where your entire garden is just choked up with weeds and it's a total loss. Well, it's having those truth moments. Um, uh, if you're talking about the relationship between a, uh, in a couple, for example, you, you allow yourself to have those truth moments where it's completely safe and secure for um, for any of the parties to kind of uh, uh, talk in that, um, you know, if someone says, okay, truth moment, then that person is then allowed to express themselves in a perfectly safe way. Uh, so it, but that does take bravery to take that step and go to that uh, level. And yeah, I mean, toilet seat up or down. I mean, that's, that's a huge comp conflict between a lot of couples I know <laughs> but, and it's it is challenging I think the it's the preparedness that you have to do to get there to actually show up and be able to communicate in a, in a conscious way right so absolutely responsibility yeah, and being able to speak that in the moment though means that you're not just allowing things. Because I think what happens is that people just say, oh, that was something that I really didn't like, but I'm just going to smile and get over it because maybe they'll be nicer the next time. And then they'll be nicer the next time and they'll be nicer the next next time. But then it escalates and it escalates and it escalates because you didn't say that your boundary got violated. So if you don't say that your, your boundary got violated and the other person isn't aware of it, then you can't have any responsibility because you're not aware of it. But if they say, hey, I don't really like it when you did X, Y, or Z, and then you can handle it in the moment or you can choose not to. That's completely your choice, but it's still, if you don't speak it to the person and then especially when we were talking about toxic positivity last week, if you just don't deal with it and then you make it like, oh, it's fine. Oh no, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. Oh, it's totally fine. Everything's fine. And then it's really not. You're seething mass of, of nerve raw engine. It's like, that doesn't help at all. Oh yeah. There's uh, always a, uh little element of fuck you in every fine, right? Um, so it's having the, the ability to, or allowing yourself to know what, what you should say or what you, you know, not assuming that the other person is going to, uh, to know what you want to express. You know, it's, assumption is a huge problem in that process, I feel. Um, I, I just I really, really liked what Barbie says, and I think taking that responsibility for your own choices, it, it's um, in a full base for me of, of any conflict or any interaction in, in relationships. And I, I got to know, um, I went to a webinar some time ago, and it was really... Um, nice how they presented um, those responsibilities that we sometimes don't like to take and giving our choices away, not keeping to our boundaries or procrastinating with, with, with a conversation or 
So there are certain defenses in a way, or even shutting down and, and doing the silence treatment. It's in a way our choice that is not very helpful in the relationship. Mm -hmm. And if we accept that this is, this is our responsibility to, to keep our boundaries and to, to stick to them, to talk about them. And yes, it doesn't feel great when we have to do it because it feels very vulnerable to, to talk about our own insecurities or things that are bothering us because we don't know how the other person will react and respond. But if we take that responsibility in, in talking about it, in communicating, at least trying to communicate this with another person and making sure that we know what our defenses are, what, how, how do we stop ourselves from, from communicating those things? Um, and if we accept that this is our choice and our responsibility, I think that becomes a bit more... Um, more of a conscious choice rather than sleepwalking, like you said, through your life, through the relationship and, and looking for a blame in others or putting the responsibility to others rather than looking within ourselves. Yeah, and it's the, uh, like I was, uh, the quote was saying in the beginning here, that bravery is a choice. Um, it's a choice to take that step into, into your own power, as it were. Um, and yeah, responsibility is a huge thing. Being responsible for your own process and knowing that you're not responsible for anyone else's process. Um, those are huge, uh, huge deal, uh, deals in the ability to handle conflict in a uh, conscious and productive, productive way. So I've identified four main things uh, in terms of why we don't end up collaborating and one is the perceived cost of collaborating we have this sense that oh if i collaborate then i will lose what i think is important um which is not necessarily so but it's the perceived cost right uh damage to our reputation if i give in i'm going to be perceived as weak um and that's there's a lot of fears underlying to that, but if you look at politics, for example, oh, if I collaborate with, you know, cross-party lines, then I'm going to be seen as a, a traitor by my my party or the members of my party um, because you can't appease everybody, right? Uh, so you end up, and then also with uh, assumptions, uh, as we were saying before, assuming that you know, Assuming that someone knows what you want without you expressing it, that's a huge problem, right? Part, part of me feels that when you come, when you are diving dive deeper into like the science of compassion and the benefits of the compassion, and you start investigating the arguments of the critics when it comes to the compassion, uh, a lot of people might, might, might think that when you are a very compassionate person or very accepting person, that is associated with weakness. Mm -hmm. So when, and it's true, and they, I, I feel that some people might feel that, yeah, if we are going to collaborate, if we are going to think about um, playing towards the same goal, we're gonna show and demonstrate our weakness. And I think that historically, people were thinking that the earth is like kind of the pieces of the pie. 
And if I want to get the biggest piece of that pie, I need to grab something, you know, that pie from someone others. But actually, if we're looking at the last, like since entitlement and uh, last 200 or 300 years, that we can see that the, the pie is exponentially growing all the time. So actually, if we are collaborating and we are developing new technologies and we are sending people to Mars and Moon, and then the pie is growing. So there is more for everyone. So actually that collaboration, it's works for, 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 for all of us, for it's, it's our common and shared interest. However, I don't know, I've, it still feels that for a lot of people, it's that kind of the mental block that, yeah, for me, in order for me to get stronger or bigger, I need to grab something from, from someone else. So it might be one of the factors. Yeah, the, the perceived uh, lack of abundance uh, becomes uh, part of the challenge in uh, collaboration. Yeah, I can totally see that. Uh, it's the idea that, you know, I will, well, it's part of the perceived cost that uh, I'm going to lose something if I collaborate, right? Um, well, I know that for myself, kind of like what Carl was just talking about, I know that myself, when I've done professional groups in the past, I don't like it when when you do a collaboration group and then one person takes all the credit. So it's kind of like in a school project. It's like, you know, four people get into a school project and it's just that one kid that cares about his grade and the other kid that just other three kids that just kind of slack off and don't really care about anything. And they just say, oh, yeah, yeah, just write whatever. And then, you know, hopefully we'll get a good grade because, you know, you'll do all the work. So true collaboration is a very difficult thing. And I know that in in work projects, I got smart a lot of times in the past because I'm one of those people who ends up being the one that does it because I care about it. So what I did is I actually got to a point of where if there was a business project that I was collaborating on with other co coworkers, I made everyone have their own ink. So if you were pink and the other person was green and the other person was yellow and I was black, if there was 80% of the entire presentation was black, then it looked pretty obvious as to in the legend as to who had done the work. So that's kind of how I figured out without having to to say anything and the item was very clear and then those things very much in the drafting all of a sudden were like oh i'm not really here anymore so they couldn't just hide it behind that but one thing i also wanted to mention too is that when i went to south korea for a year it was a really really interesting paradigm shift because being an american who's traveled all over the world i realized that you know americans values is kind of like this philosophy of the maverick it's like the individual the rebel the you know, the James Dean, the, the John Wayne, that whole, you know, like out there doing your kind of your thing and you're a trailblazer. The but pioneer. The same, yes. But then you go to Asia and it's a collective. It's mm. a complete whatever is a collective. And so everybody, when you were in Korea, said, we Koreans do this. We Koreans do that. We Koreans do this. Everything that they said in Korean and English was we Koreans. So it was a very interesting thing to see that when you're talking about the individuation versus the collective, there's a difference in that too. So if we're dealing with globalist projects, we have to be mindful of the fact that when you're working with people who are from the West who believe in the individuation, and then there are people from the East who think about the collective, how do you how do you have an opportunity to be able to come together in that sense? Because it's a completely different way of, of handling conflict. Because if you're always thinking about the good of the whole, as opposed to what's good for you, it's a totally, totally different perspective. So I just wanted to throw that into the mix because it was something that really, really struck out at me 
as something really, really huge when I went to Korea because I had never seen that kind of a societal norm where it was so, so focused on the we. And as a side note, it's quite interesting. You say that they said we Koreans, whereas in the Western world, we say like in Sweden, we do this way or in America, we do it this way. It's not like we Swedes or we Americans. Yeah, it, it's more based on the geography, whereas uh, as it sounds like in Korea, it was more about the culture and the people. So that's interesting. That's very interesting. And uh, I actually added another uh, another thing to the list of uh, why we don't collaborate. It's the uh, the disparate motivation from uh, between the collaborate or the people that are in. Um, in um, in conflict about something so we we don't we uh, we, we don't delve into we don't take the step to understand each other's motivation uh, so it's the lack of understanding of the motivation for me uh, because i i live in poland and i'm a polish uh, there was a huge gap with the cultural differences and first of all uh, a family differences the biggest change made when I moved to uh, my husband's parents and I understood why multiple things that he is doing is doing the way that he, he like behave, speak, react. Uh, it came to me like how connected is the root from the behaving that we are now. And like, I, I really believe that like multiple changes happen while we are a kid, but the good thing that like, I decide to work, I decide to work it out to, learn more about my resilience and definitely put the clear boundaries and um, the thing that I didn't had before and absolutely multiple things because I, I'm really not a problem person in my family everything was like on a funny way uh, my mom had a cancer so my father was joking with all the serious things in life so will not feel the pain that was his way of storytelling and uh, joking. So I, I learned to react on a funny way, like through storytelling, which not always is taken nicely. As Carl said, quite often uh, people criticize that like, um, it's like foolish. It's not like I'm not reacting, but like, I, I think it's just a moment of resilience. Once you build it up and you're sure in your value, you don't have even a need to react because like you feel them pain uh, on the people around you, not always maybe to the husband or, or the children, but like we all have a pain that we hold with us. We are all in a way broken. So if you, if you find out what is really broken, it's very easy to work it out. And for me, it helped really a lot of the writing and the journaling that you're both recommending with Barbie, because like when I was thinking with my, I was staying alone with my thoughts, it was getting to a messy point. But once I started writing it down and I had a, a chance to read what I wrote, it really helped me to move a lot uh, and to find the positive things inside. Because this gratitude list, the uh, affirmations that you're doing on a daily basis, it really move you from the stack phase to the project phase because you move the project problem to the project and then the project is very moving. So. Yeah, and that, that they the help me a lot. Uh, yeah, and that's the work we, ha I think we have to do in preparation for life, is that uh, 
moving into that conscious state of being where we observe our own triggers from our awareness or you know observing uh, fear and our thoughts again from our awareness and being able to choose the thoughts that we have um, so when we are in a conflict we're not engaging from the point of view of our uh, point of view of our uh, emotion that, that rises up because we can't control it um, so when we are in a conflict situation we're not engaging from the emotion because then we are going to go into this idea of uh, defensiveness because we are becoming the emotion that, or the trigger we become the fear and then we immediately go into defending ourselves because we have a perceived threat to um, our per persona as it were um, yeah just to reflect back on what, what you both said I think it, it is often mm -hmm. In, in conflict, when, when you are already involved in conflict and where there is disagreement and the emotions are happening, I think when you've truly got to know yourself and you know your own processes, it's it's not easy, but it's, it's much more manageable to sit with those emotions and communicate that this happened. And I do feel defensive, but you can talk about it. And once you express that you feel defensive, that you feel this way about the situation, then it almost like drops or you're you more able to let go of that and handle that conflict in, in more adult to an adult manner rather than shouting from, from, from defenses, shouting out and acting out but just acknowledging what is happening to you here and now and sitting with that conflict and sitting with those difficult emotions um, that are happening in the conflict, that it's inevitable that it, you will experience some, some reactions and some emotions in conflict. Um, it's just the way how, how you talk about it and how you react and respond to it. Absolutely. The, the, uh, then again, whether it's, we adults are better at conflict than children. That's a that's that's a discussion for another day. But <laughs> we can still act like a children, even though we adults. If even if we still adults, we can still act like a children. Exactly. Absolutely, and at least the children have the excuse of being children. We don't. Um, but I think the you're absolutely right in that once we we are able to perceive our own experience from that perspective then we and we don't engage with it it actually gives us pause and ourselves opportunity to review our own process and once we review our own process i think it at least in the beginning when you realize that you you have a choice about your process or you can actually observe your own process and you have a choice about your thought you can actually become even more combative because you get annoyed that others other people aren't as quote-unquote aware as yourself. Um, but when you come to the acceptance that others are going to have their journey and all that good stuff, then you are able to, because you're able to pr look at your own process and you know where you've come from, then you can see others for uh, what they are, uh, they really are as well, behind all the fear and the triggers and so forth. And yeah, uh, we're always going to have those triggers unless we become, you know, Buddha or Jesus or 
which you know would be nice but <laughs> not always there so i think that that's very true that we need to once we understand our own process that allows us to understand others process as well i've done a lot of workshops over the years with uh, stephen covey's uh, seven habits for highly effective people it's one of my favorite books i've also led teen groups on that too and number five is seek first to understand rather than to be understood and that's one of the things in the sense of where a lot of times it takes the courage to be able to reach out to somebody and ask them, hey, what's going on with you? But by the same token, then it's also an important thing, too, about where when someone just because you tell someone where you are, or how you're feeling about something that doesn't necessarily mean that the other person has to do anything that you want them to do because of what they are thinking or feeling. And I see Marlena, you're nodding your head. It's like, so, so, okay. So yes, you told me how you feel and that's great, but now let's figure out a way to find a compromise of where we can, you know, come at it from different angles to see each other's perspectives. But when you're dealing with a full-blown projection of where someone is completely just project, projecting all over you and they're not even seeing that everything that they're saying to you is a mirror of themselves, at that point in time, there's no there's no way to be able to communicate any longer and you can't show the person the projection that they're sending to you. And so at that point in time, I also feel like that's the time just to kind of retreat and give them person, that person their space. But from that perspective, what I do is I send love. I just continue to send love to that person. I don't have anything negative to say. I'm just going to continue to send love because that's all I can do. That's the only thing I have control over, but it's still one of those things. It's not, it's not necessarily easy, but there's a propensity in our society now to say, again, we've talked about this multiple times in the podcast. Well, this is my truth. Well, this mm -hmm. is my truth. Because this is my truth, I get to truth all over you. I'm going to truth all over you and tell you what my truth is. You better handle my truth because it's my truth. And you better do whatever I want because it's my fucking truth. And it's like, no, just because it's your truth doesn't mean everybody has to run around and do whatever you want. So sorry, Anna, if your kid's around. <laughs> Well, there's not, not much swearing on that, Barbie, so you're all right, I think. Um, yeah, and that will we'll, uh, get into the idea of the communication in a minute, and I'll come to you shortly, uh, uh, Carol. But it, I think there has to be, not has to be, but it's a good idea to have a desire to become, compassionately understand others. So if you go in with that attitude to... I want to understand you. I want to understand where you're coming from. I want to understand why, why you feel the way you feel and what your solution is, or rather what, what is your desired solution, then I can present the same thing. And oftentimes it's not even asking, you know, why are you behaving that way? It's because that can come across as uh, sometimes being a, um, you know, a little combative. Uh, it's asking what has hurt you in the way that you feel that this, why are you being, uh, you know, what has hurt you to make you feel fearful of this situation? Um, because then you, you dive in to try and understand the, the other person at a deeper level. Thank you very much. Um, yeah, I'm going to say something that it's very, very risky, given the fact that my wife is sitting just next to me. <laughs> uh, I have, when, when it comes to conflict, what I have kind of discovered about myself when I'm arguing, especially with my dear wife, is the fact that if I'm passionate about something and I'm arguing with her for 
prolonged period of time, which is anything from five minutes onwards, I would say, <laughs> it's uh, I'm usually wrong. Of course, you yeah. And and sometimes the ego is so tricky that even if I, you know, I get to the point, and is the situation from today even, like. I go to the point that, yeah, I think I have resolved that. It's something that is coming, popping up from my past. And I think I, you know, I think I resolved that. And I I can do, you know, I, I can go and think and reflect. So I peeled off one layer of onion and then I come downstairs and we start having the conversation again. And it's again, um, I want to enforce what Barbie said. I want you to understand my truth. And it's, no, Carol. Carmen, stop. This is again your ego playing tricks on you. And you're peeling another layer of onion. And it's like the conflict is, I'd say, it's as much as frustrating it might be to be involved in conflict, it's great, provides you with great opportunity for and like mirror to understand your point of view and the journey that you came through, um, or you went through, and helps you to understand like. What, what the hell I'm thinking now? Like, what makes me think that way? And well, without without the conflict, we wouldn't have the necessary opportunity to to grow. So it's always coming back to that mindful place, that our you know awareness, not believing our thoughts or not believing our emotions, just observing them and use them as opportunity for growth. Which yes. is hard, but. It's the concept of uh, not wasting a good trigger. Yes. Right? So if you get triggered, you know that it's a good thing because uh, it gives you an opportunity to discover something about yourself. And um, I suppose in my, my work, I come across people that, you know, have this idea that, oh, I'm easygoing and I, you know, I don't have any problems. And, well, you know, no, everything is fine and dandy. I'm like, Okay, so um, you've reached enlightenment. That's fantastic and wonderful, you know. Um, but a lot of times, it's everything has been kind of covered over so well that they can't actually engage with any aspect of themselves other than placating or uh, just sending out this idea that, oh, everything's wonderful, you know. So they've come so far into that reality for themselves um and that's when triggers really become valuable because that is when you can then go aha okay here's something to work with um and it's when you can start working with those things there and it, it's when you can when you sit down and you're able to view these experiences these triggers from and i Go back to it again the the perspective of the awareness as an observer uh, then you can deal whatever with whatever is in in your baggage because you don't need to associate it you don't need to engage with it directly you can observe it from a distance as it were um, even though it's within yourself um, and it, it's i think also, it's important to have this idea of responsibility. I'm responsible for my process. I'm responsible for my part in this conflict. I'm not responsible for the other person. 
but I'm responsible for how I communicate, how I think, and how I act. So, um, you know, this idea that whatever you put, whatever words you put out there, once they're out, you can't take them back, right? So, being fully aware of that process of communication, and uh, you know, being, and that goes back to what Barbie was saying about uh, before about dropping the truth, truth bombs you know we we it is a la mode right now to uh, tell you tell your truth and as long as you do that you're 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 uh, quite uh, okay to do it but it has to come from a place of authenticity and look at your motivation of why am i saying something so pass it through the uh, true kind and useful uh, um, filters where true is you know okay this is my opinion yes it's true it's my opinion and then i have to position it as such or is it factual whereas i'm am i just making shit up you know so there there is that too <laughs> um you know is it uh, kind and kind doesn't necessarily always have to be placating but it could be an opposition of course but is it compassionate and not malicious? So what's the motivation in, in, in uh, what you're saying? So, you know, if someone is, you know, take a, a simple example, someone has a piece of lettuce between the teeth. Do you tell them they have a piece of lettuce between the teeth and uh, run the risk of uh, them feeling embarrassed or let them have it and not, you know, not knowing about it? What's the kind thing to do? Um, and that's clearly from situation to situation, and you can uh, work that out for yourselves. But <laughs> and then, of course, it is it useful. You know, does this serve to reach the uh, the collaborative goal that you have together, that you're working towards together, whether you are in a business relationship, in a political? Uh, uh, relationship or in a, uh, a romantic relationship um, and then knowing that you know again going back to the responsibility the, the control I can only control my thoughts my words and my actions whatever the other person says or do or things I can't control that so it's going back to the four agreements you know not taking things personally and not assuming I know the other person's story, right? And then, uh, you know, the idea of compromise is, I think collaboration is much better than compromise, if possible, because compromise, you basically meet halfway and neither person gets what they want. And you get, oftentimes, you get a bit of a... Uh, uh, mishmash half measure of it yeah that whole corporate compromise of where everybody comes up with their kind of manifesto and they come up with their whole ideas it's like this kind of milk toast thing and then everybody has this feeling like somehow they've got this program that everyone's all rah-rah about but then everyone goes back to their offices and they do the same stuff that they've been doing for the last 10 to 20 years which is <laughs> totally counterproductive because mm -hmm. there's no buy-in but I know just on a side note, because I know you like absurd humor the way that I do as well, is that just reminded me when you're talking about the spinach between the teeth. I don't know if you guys remember the 
there's something about Mary trailer it's, where Cameron Diaz thinks there's <laughs> hair gel. <laughs> nice one, Barbie. <laughs> nice to bring the uh, conversation down. <laughs> well, you know, sometimes it's really over the fact that sometimes there's 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 lots of golden nuggets in comedy because it's one of those things of do you say something or do you not? Yeah. And it's the kind of where it is totally true of where you don't necessarily want to embarrass somebody, but it's still, I had a lady that was in my work and she was the sweetest lady. She would come around with the mail and she had had a double mastectomy and she had pretty much like at that time, they only had foam replacement breasts as opposed to the ones that they have now. And so she used to have her foam replacement breasts would oftentimes end up almost on the tops of her shoulders. And so I was always the kind person that said, hi, dear, I just want to let you know your foam breasts are up over your shoulders and you might want to fix them. And every time she saw me, she's like, oh, thank you so much. But it was the kind of thing of like most people just let her walk around with these things over her shoulders, which when she was able to notice it, she appreciated the fact that, you know, I would point it out. But to a lot of people, mm -hmm. they'll just leave it alone because they knew it came from a place of where it was a mastectomy. But it's still those are the kind of things of where sometimes true love is also telling someone, hey, you know what, your foam breasts are up over your shoulders and maybe you might want to just put them, pull them down. Yeah, absolutely. And that, that's, that's where you have to judge from or trust yourself that you are going to be able to speak compassionately with kindness that might be a little awkward or uncomfortable, right? But also it's important to, when you have a conflict or a, a tenuous conversation, if you like, um, is to be aware that there are, you know, truth is a paradox. That your truth is going to be different from, if you bring 50 people into your situation, they're going to be 50 different truths. So whenever you have a challenge like that, bringing yourself up from a, kind of a bird's eye perspective or looking at quote-unquote big picture will allow you to come out to a point where you you can actually agree on broad strokes and then you can work out the details right but it's having this understanding of the the different perspectives because when you go into a conflict or a conversation like that oftentimes Either party A are not able to really uh, express what they uh, what is the the desired outcome, but it might be something deeper. So one, as you go through the process, you can then discover: Oh, is this your desired outcome, or the, is this the, what's the the priority for you? Well, that would work with this solution and then suddenly you have the perfect solution so the looking at the situation or the uh, looking at the uh, uh, conversation conflict from all those different sides and then allowing yourself to fully understand what that person uh, actually desires uh, will be uh, will be quite valuable I think timing is also everything as well, because I think a lot of people deliberately nowadays with patrolling on the internet, things like that, a lot of people really want to just like get everybody 
where they're just like, oh, I'm outraged. Oh, I'm so upset. Oh, I'm so mad. And everyone's just running around like scorched earth and their hair is on fire. And I think it's oftentimes better because sometimes you get this whole message of where you just step back. Most people who are meditators, I think oftentimes handle conflict really well because they step back and say, okay, what is my part in this? How can I handle this from that perspective? And then what is my part and what do I need to do? And from that perspective, if you focus on the timing, then you realize that sometimes things don't have to be handled in the moment. And even if you're in the middle of anger, you know, they teach children to count backwards from 10. You know, mm-hmm. when they're pissed off, they teach them to count backwards from 10 or to go take a walk, go get a breath of fresh air, do something else. And then from there, you don't say something that is cruel or you, that you can't take back. So I think sometimes it's also, you know, you engage completely. I don't ever think you should walk away from engaging in conflict, but you also have to allow the time to deflect of where the person has to have an opportunity because processing is oftentimes as much as important as the conversation. And if you give someone time to process, it's like men are from Mars, women are from Venus. John Gray talks about the fact that men need a man cave. They need to go into their man cave and go sit and think about something. Whereas women, they want to, you know, I want to talk about it. I want to talk about it. No, what do you mean? No, 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 no. Or, you know, or the women will do the silent treatment where the guy's like, oh shit, I am in serious trouble because now she's not even talking to me. So there's all these little things that go back and forth in interpersonal communication. But if you're a woman and you know a man needs to go into his man cave, give him time to go into his man cave. And when he's done, he'll come out and say, okay, I'm ready to talk. But if you literally, like, yeah, no, 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 and he needs his man cave time, it's going to be a problem. So that's where the conflict is also timing, 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 and then timing. I agree with that, um, but I think if you if you both have the preparedness, you know, you know, if you're a couple that have been together for a long time and you have the preparedness, then you don't necessarily approach the conflict at that energy level. So it becomes just a continuous kind of conversation in that respect. So. Anger is a lot, you know, if we look at society as a whole, if we approach the, uh, this topic of anger, you know, anger has a place. Anger can be passionate. Uh, you know, if it, we're talking about um, uh, social injustices and so forth. But it's how we manifest or how we express that anger that will then show you know allow us to move forward or take steps back um and i think that's that's key in uh, any relationships as well you know if you move into any conversation with that like elevated level level of passion or anger uh then that's you you are going to be matched with in that energy level so I think, yes, uh, if you go in with the, yeah, 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 <laughs> then it's uh, the other person is going to feel overwhelmed and um, attacked, as it were. So I think that is part of the, the responsibility of uh, any party, really, is to know for them, their own process and say, okay, well, Perhaps I need to move into this conversation calmly. 
uh, I can still express myself. And like I always tell, tell my children, you know, when they come and say, oh, oh Vivi made me so angry or Linnea made me so angry. It's like, no, you, nobody makes you angry. You're the one who decides you, the emotion exists within you. And then you decide to keep it going because you your thought process. Um, the emotion in itself, you can't do anything about. You have to allow that to come up and you need to express that. But you don't need to yell and scream and kick and hit and express it in a deconstructive manner or destructive manner. Uh, anger can be communicated in a very constructive manner and describing exactly how you feel. But we've, I think a lot of times we lose that ability to express the feeling because we don't know the spectrum of our feelings. Um, I think I was talking about that last time as well, we, that on average, uh, there's like, people have like three emotions they can name. Uh, it's happy, sad, and pissed off. Um, so being able to name disappointment and uh, trepidation or whatever it is, you know, all these different emotions that we can have, uh, comes down to emotional intelligence and that's a practice that's because a lot of us haven't had that space when we were younger to express and identify all these different emotions so when we come to conflicts we react one <laughs> one or two ways uh, it's either walking away or getting angry yelling screaming um, so i think it comes down to us learning how to communicate and learning to communicate how we feel and say, listen, I'm, I feel overwhelmed right now. So can we, can we discuss this later? You know, and then both parties being comfortable that, you know, okay, we will come back to it later. Or I'm feeling, you know, belittled right now. Why, why, and then understanding, okay, well, if I feel belittled not right now, what, where is that trigger coming from? What is it that makes me feel less than I should feel? So, yeah, timing is a very big thing. But sometimes the person who then sits with the emotion is going to eat them up as well. So there is a balance, right? So you, in some way you, you should be able to communicate um, that feeling whatever the time is as it were and that may be a controversial and I'm happy to so there's a good example I heard as a, a way of collaboration so you have the you have the uh, uh, person who is trying to save the environment the ecology and uh, is trying to get people to travel less, trying to solve uh, or trying to, uh, you know, get air, airlines to uh, uh, have fewer planes in the air. And then you have the jet setter who wants to fly all, all over the world and experience things. Now, those two, these two people might seemingly have very disparate goals. 
But once they come together, what they when they sit down and they work with their different attitudes and their their different goals and their desires and so forth, they end up coming up with the uh, green energy airliner, right? So that's collaboration. So both parties actually get exactly what they want. The compromise would be that the jet setter lowers his traveling by 50%. So the uh, environmentalist gets halfway there and the jet setter gets halfway there, but neither is happy because they haven't reached, reached their goal, goal full out. So the collaboration then allows them to reach, reach uh, their, their goals full out which is, uh, becomes a huge difference, I think. And I, I mean, I understand that whole concept of that, not, not wanting to travel for the, the, the blueprint or the carbon footprint, stuff like that. But I think, you know, since, you know, you're from Sweden and Marlena and Carla from Poland, and I know that Anna is from Macedonia, you've got different people who are, you know, from all over the world. A lot of us have been free to roam about the planet, right? So when we had this planet that opened up to us in a different way because of air travel, and I understand that there is a climate issue in that sense too, but you know, you've got lots of different people who are from different countries living in different places. And when I went to Austria, it was so shocking to see that on the other side of the mountain, the dialect was completely different because those people literally 400 years of not even going over the hill because they don't talk to each other. And I don't know if it's like that in Poland too, where there's like little villages of where they just don't talk to each other because they're completely separated out. And you look at the USSR, I mean, we had the United Soviet you know, Republic that then got broken up to Kazakhstan, different places too. I went and traveled to what used to be called Yugoslavia in 1987. Well, now that's Slovenia. You know, it's like all these things, they kind of like bounce from here to here. And then the and every time you buy a globe or a map, it's a different thing. And so we keep looking at all these things from a different perspective of what we call it. But is it healthy to, I mean, WildFit has that concept too, buy local, buy everything local, everything's farm to table, and you buy everything that you get from, you know, beginning to end. And that's a great thing too, because you're not also hurting the environment by bringing Valencia oranges to Dubai that cost money and cost all that kind of stuff. But it's still there also becomes a lack of communication and a lack of connection because then you're also not intermingling with different people from different cultures. And when I went to South Korea in 1995 and 1996, I was the only white person that they had ever seen in their entire life. And to a lot of those children, I was an alien, legitimately. They'd never seen blue eyes before. They'd never seen light hair before. They would never seen lashes. I mean, there were a lot of things that were to them that I was a complete foreign being and so that's something where unless you've experienced it, you don't know how that feels. So I think that the more connected we have with different cultures and are exposed to different things, the more we can really understand each other. But if I'm not exposed to the things that are your issues in your culture, I can't find a way to be able to find a common ground because I'm just focused on staying in my own little, little neighborhood. So there's a good and a bad, and I understand from a climate perspective, but it also I think that the more educated we are about each other globally, the more we also win because we can also then understand different perspective. So that's just my. Absolutely. And uh, clearly that was uh, just an example of collaboration. And, um, but I think it is important to understand. So 
your or your um, objectives for traveling or to visit places is going to be different from someone else's but then you have others that are not going to travel at all because a they don't they may not have the means to do to travel they may not be interested they may feel that you know they have yeah it's uh, it's against their belief system um but i think whatever the challenge is there's always a way for everybody to come together and to be able to find a common solution that no one has ever thought about uh, there, there is a part in the authentic networking that uh... Uh, he Kate is explaining that there is Joe and Harry and Joe is super active and uh, the way of behaving is different and Harry is totally different person and he's asking like the people to find Joe Harry window so I think that everything that Barbie said is like just learning the pieces of this person and connecting it with everything that you have and making the window of understanding is the key because it's like we're all different and it's hard to find a way and this quest like helped me a lot because like there is this five rules of generosity and we all have like some five rules of generosity that you can find in a person doesn't matter how different it is how like they they react differently because you're different like if you find the things that you can value at this person it's very easy to move and not to criticize yeah no, and it's that level of understanding, right? Or the desire to understand someone else and understand some, someone else's motivations. Uh, the desire to compassionately connect with someone else. And Keith Barassi talks about that in uh, uh, his book, uh, Where Is It? And what's it called? The, uh, uh, the um, uh, Leadership... Uh, It'll come to me in a minute, but uh, he talks about that, you know, once you figure out what someone's underlying fear is, then it's easier for you to connect with that and understand how you can be uh, instrumental in the solution for that person. Uh, you can become the solution for that, right? Without authority. Barbie just never eat alone. Uh, yeah, no, the, the one I was thinking was uh, leading without authority, actually. Uh, thank you, Barbie. Um, yeah, thank you, Anna. Okay, Carol, go ahead. Thank you very much. So, yeah, basically, um, I really wanted to say thank you very much for Barbie because uh, for, for what she said, because it makes perfect sense. Like, I've been living in the UK for 11 years now, uh, and what that experience told me, it's... Uh, pretty much everything well not only this experience but living in different country plus uh being involved in meditation and mindfulness meditation and all of those things uh it really taught me that everything is just is so impermanent and everything changes all the time and same the concept of national identity or belonging to the social group or belonging to specific religious uh, specific religions or, or anything like that that it's that creates division between people and yeah what's what is the value of me saying that i'm polish like what have i done 
in my life to become, to, to label myself to be Polish? What have I not done to label myself to be Polish? I'm first of all, I'm human. And the things like race and um, sexuality and uh, a lot of things like national identity, those are human inventions. Mm -hmm. So national identity is a concept that was invented in what, like 1700, I believe. A lot of things like race, you know, in Asian world, there is a lot of evidence that people did not care whatsoever. And now it just, it's huge. And everyone talks about this. And I believe, I mean, part of me feels that this creates more division if we think about those features of our existence. What I feel is important is just trying to emphasize with another human experience and trying to understand that everyone in this world have the same desire to be happy, to be loved, to be connected. And I don't care whether someone is from Kenya or somewhere in Asia or wherever, wherever country or whatever religious or whatever political ideology, everyone deserves to be happy and everyone deserves to pursue that happiness. And I think that's the kind of key aspect of our human nature. And for as long as I live, I think I will be talking about this, I, I hope anyway, and try to share that with other people just to, it does not matter. Everything, those, those, those labels are just fake labels. They might be helpful to some people, but in the deep down, we are just people and we, sh we, we, we need to focus on love. I totally agree with you to the extent that they are just labels, but at the same time, I think they are valuable to some people. I think the, the division comes in, not necessarily because of the labels, but because people don't appreciate others for what they are. You know, we, we try to connect with the labels as opposed to connecting with the human underneath. Um, so the labels in, in of themselves, I don't think is the, uh, the part that creates the division. It's the person who perceives the label as the dividing part. So, um, you know, me being Swedish, you being Polish, to us that doesn't matter because we connect on a human level. But, you know, go back to... Uh, the 18th century and uh, you being Polish, me being Swedish would be a huge issue. <laughs> you know, so it's, it's uh, down to the awareness of the individuals as well. There we go. I think that mindfulness is what we're really looking at. I mean, um, there's a lot of things that uh, that affect whether or not we are uh, globe trotting and such. Um, and it's one thing to, you know, like it, it's really important to be mindful of what you're doing. If you're just running all over the place for the hell of it because you can, because you've got the money and you can do it and you're not at all mindful or appreciative of the damage that you're doing I, to the universe, uh, you know, to the environment. Uh, that's a whole different different thing. I think that um, as long as whatever it is you do is mindful, 
an, a, a, it, it makes a big difference. I think it really does. And uh, as, as I speak this, I'm thinking perhaps even the universe understands the difference of our intention and, and might even mitigate part of the damage that it does. Does that make sense? It makes sense, absolutely. I think it's, it comes down to the motivation. Uh, like I was talking about before, if you, if you have a benevolent motivation, I like people talking on the uh, share about the, uh, you know, the benefits of travel. If you're, and you, you seek to make things better, then yeah, you are affecting something positive on the, um, positive on the other end, right? So they're, they're, you have a bit more balance. Um, and Olga is asking me here if she can briefly share how easy we connect. Absolutely. Hi, everyone. I wish I could use my video, but I don't look as beautiful as you guys do right now. Okay. <laughs> I'm in San Diego, California, and it's about 7.15, and I refuse to get out of bed yet. I'm not That's done right. with my first cup of coffee. You're not the uh, only one. We have others on here that's from Southern California. So, thank you. <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> well, um, I found through uh, all my travels that um, many people are are used to uh, going to the same places that their parents took them, and then they don't go out of that. They just go back to the same. And if they go somewhere else, it's because somebody they trust took them there. Other than that, they just stay with the same things all the time. And I found that many times they don't even know their own community. They don't even shop at their local places and they don't even know their local farmers. Um, and after years of experience in these, um, I also found that many of my friends travel the world and they never really truly connected to any of the places that they traveled to. And they were going to the typical foods that they remember from home. So they missed on opportunities to try the flavors of the country they, they traveled to, or they missed on the opportunity to smell, you know, the, the, the different types of liquor or the different types of just the, the, the smells of the different types of fruit. Mm -hmm. And and then, um, uh, 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 you know, uh, as meditation and mindfulness that we were just discussing, it came to me that uh, of how I could connect the dots. And I created a company called O Experience, and the O stands for many things, your own organic, original, and even orgasmic for the mind in teaching um, people how to connect through their taste buds. And with that, we start with what's going on in your community and who lives around you because we live in such a beautiful environment. Here in San Diego, where I live, we have immigrants and people that have come here from so many different places that our food has been getting better and better and better. And then if I want to eat something um, uh, of uh, Peruvian food, for example, I can I know exactly where to go here. And if I want something better, then I go where I know where to go in LA, for example, and it's very close. Uh, 
Um, if I want something a little bit more exotic, I, I have choices. I know the community that has it and then I can go there. And then I often find that, that, uh, uh, that many don't take advantage of, of all the resources that we have within the communities that we live at without the need of travel so far. But if we want to, that we have those things available and the conversations that could happen at those dinners with the people that, that we encounter, I mean, it's, it's mind blowing. And sometimes it doesn't require for us to get on a plane to just have a beautiful time and connect. I think, yeah, I think that is super important to keep in mind that A, diversity does broaden your mind. So exposing yourself to different experiences makes you better at dealing with conflict and uh, controversies, as it were, because you can see and understand many different people's uh, point of view. And I think the, the challenge is that people, the same thing people don't work on themselves and deal with their own baggage, is that it takes effort. So connecting well, with your own community takes effort, let alone connecting with the, someone else's community. So going back to the labels, you know, making yourself understand someone else's uh, desires and motivation, that takes effort. So, and, and then you also find out where the food comes from. Yeah, no, of course. And using the food as a metaphor for, you know, someone's uh, background or desires or <laughs> motivation uh, or solving conflict international conflict yeah environmental conflict sure and often you know sometimes the motivation might be fear you know if you're talking international conflict a lot of times if you take vladimir putin i would imagine his he's probably fearful of losing power because now he's made sure he can sit another two terms um so it's understanding that motivation it's like okay well why does it have this fear of losing power you know it's like once you delve down to more human level it's going to become you're going to be able to reach in at a different level olga thank you for that that's uh you were speaking my language i've had numerous I'm in um, in Anaheim in Orange County, and I've had multiple multicultural um, parties that I've had throughout time, and it's been so amazing because when a kid from Vietnam tries the pupusa or they try some mole, or someone from El Salvador or Guatemala they try something like the Vietnamese egg rolls or a spring roll, it's like the connection is through the food and through the different kinds of things, and then the next thing you know, they're friends and they see each other completely differently as opposed to what their families have said about other and it, it's such a it's such a gorgeous metaphor and that's actually one of the reasons why it's very difficult the idea about going out of california is because there's almost no other place of where you can literally go get authentic pho in little saigon or go get authentic japanese food in little tokyo you can get dim sum in chinatown and in the la as you said i mean there's like different kinds of flavors and the flavors from yucatan are totally different than the flavors of michoacan i mean they're the spices are different and I love you Eat <laughs> stuff around there. You're totally right. And even like when I, when I lived in Korea, all the people, they have what's called the kuchu, 
where they have all the dried red peppers, but those all came from Peru, just like the potato came from Peru and it went all over the world. And then all of those hot, spicy Szechuan peppers are really South American because of the trade back in the 1300s. So it's like this, this fusion of cultures that came together in the Silk Road and other things that made such beautiful inroads. And it's totally true. When you break bread with people, you understand people because you look at them in the eye and you say, oh my God, let me, let me show you my Goldilocks bakery that the Filipino you know, people have their, their puto and let me try this. And it's just, it's such a great way that through flavors, we have the opportunity. And even I wrote an insights about that. So I don't know if you're on insights, but if you check out my, my insights stuff, I literally wrote an entire article about the fact that food is that, that, that bridging gap of where you can open up someone else to another culture. Cause they say, oh my God, like a quesadilla or you know, something else that comes from the ceviche. It's like, oh, what's this? Oh my God, it's so delicious. And now, because I like the food, maybe I want to talk to you. And it does, it becomes almost like a peace mission and I love it. It does. You see how extraordinary you just said that? You just did that? Thank you so much. Absolutely. Food is uh, a gateway to um, communion, as it were, to be able to sit in uh, in a commune and, and solve challenges. Um, so I think food is definitely a, a key part in, in that understanding of each other's backgrounds and uh, where, where everybody comes from. Now, I think personally that the you know sitting in these kind of conversations that we have here where we have people from all over the world, quite literally, um, Currently, it's mainly America and Europe, but uh, <laughs> still, we're from different uh, different parts of the world, um, and we don't need to travel anywhere for this. But we can connect uh, and create understanding. So, uh, I think technology uh, has been a uh, big helping hand in allowing, you know, very remote locations to get an understanding of other cultures and other parts of the world um, for better or worse uh, in some cases for sure um, but uh, in terms of conscious uh, conscious conflict or conscious conflict resolution it does you know we just to recap that it's knowing our process and uh, you know knowing how to speak and how to communicate that you're being authentic and just because you have your truth doesn't mean that you should speak your truth without filters you know it comes down to uh, what's true kind and uh, useful and understanding your motivation but also applying that to your understanding of someone else so that you can communicate without taking anything personally and without uh, Take, or assuming that you know what the other person is about, but seeking to understand what the other person is about. And then at the end of the day, you have a choice. You know, how do you want to think? How do you want to act? How do you want to speak? And then uh, after that, you have a choice to stay, to change, or to leave. So conflict comes, doesn't have to be destructive. It can, it can be constructive but it, you choose how to conduct it. Microcosm also of what it can be to be able to have people understand each other and come across the aisle to be able to understand and 
be a beautiful global community, then let groups like this spread to the world basically so that they can, you know, allow this to be replicated on a, on a, on a more permanent basis of so where more and more people seek to understand each other to be able to create beautiful communities. So thank you for the space here, Christopher. Yeah, my pleasure. And it's, it's the whole idea of showing up as a role model. Because if you show up as your best ver- the best version of yourself in a, in a conflict, you will be the diffusing party in that, uh, in that uh, uh, conflict. Um, and then the other person will see that there is, is a way to do it differently as well, if they decide to do so. So thank you, everybody. I appreciate it. And uh, we'll see you next week. Take care, everybody. Now, this discussion may not be a fully comprehensive course in conflict resolution, but at least it highlights some of the factors that we do need to keep in mind, or, you know, that it's beneficial to keep in mind. You always have your choice, of course. But uh, knowing that we can look at within ourselves and the way we show up in life and take responsibility for our choices, our actions, our thoughts, and our words, that then can help to minimize how conflicts uh, affect us. Because a lot of us feel anxious and stressed out about moving into conflict, and it doesn't have to be that way. So certainly, if uh, you feel that these are topics that interest you and you want to work more to find out how you can show up as the optimal optimal version of yourself and to show up as a role model, uh, go ahead and uh, give us a call or contact us via thealchemyexperience.co.uk and uh, these are topics that we certainly work with in our workshops and uh, uh, find ways for individuals to look at themselves and see how they can work these things within themselves. So if you go to our website, thealchemyexperience.co.uk, there is a link to uh, book a 30-minute free initial consultation. So hope to see you there, if nothing else. We'll see you next time at the Alchemy Experience podcast. Take care.